Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and we are back for another episode. Today, I have with me Alex Lotten. I know I butchered that, but sorry. Nevertheless, he has an incredibly interesting practice in the dental world, but he is not only incredibly interesting practice, but incredibly innovative. And many of these innovations, I think, are going to resonate with a compliance practitioner, the business professional, or even someone who sits in the general counsel's chair. So, Alex, with that butchered last name and that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome and thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Thanks for having me. It's an amazing opportunity, and I'm humbled to be part of it. So one of the things that uh, you've written about is how a small business owner, but I really thought anyone, should think through the purchase of a tech or technology upgrade. Obviously, for a small businessman, this can be a huge market differentiator, but actually, I find that to be even more so true in corporations, simply because the incredible amount of data that any professional has to get their arms around. They're continually looking at technological solutions to help them. So I was wondering if you could just walk us through how you would help literally anyone think through a technological purchase. That's a great question. And it's very timely because a lot of technology, Microsoft-based, is coming to end of life, beginning even mid this year or beginning of next year. Windows 7 is one of them. Some server technologies and OSs are stop being supported. And it prompts a lot of businesses to undergo a tech upgrade from a hardware perspective and sometimes software. They're forced into it, but sometimes they want to preempt that. So I know that for us as a software company, we have a lot of computers and everything. So that was part of what we had to plan for the budget for this year in terms of purchases, whether it's new computers or software licenses. But when we're looking at tech upgrades, obviously we're looking at an established organization with some hardware software in place. The first thing is, I think it's very important to evaluate whether This tech upgrade is an absolute must. A lot of people have either outsourced IT companies or an internal resource who would just say, oh, you know what, we should do this and that. And they do it out of their best intentions. But sometimes it's beneficial, but it's not mandatory. So depending on cash flow and the seasonality of businesses, it's very important to make sure whether it is a must and you have to do it by a certain date, then it's just the cost of doing business. Or this is something that can be delayed or maybe even not done at all because the IT needs sometimes conflict with business needs and sometimes there's better allocations of cash in that particular moment. Uh, The other thing is when IT companies suggest specific upgrades, they usually are a little bit subjective and they choose brands that they like or work with vendors they like for uh, not really objective reasons. And one of the things is when you're looking at any purchase, whether it's tech related or not, it's very important to make sure that you evaluate all of the various options, pros and cons, perhaps even insert yourself into the decision making process or a brainstorming session to make sure you have all the right information. The right decision is usually driven by having most accurate information, the majority of it at your disposal. Then we're looking specifically with major upgrades. We're looking at properly planning it out so you don't necessarily expense everything right away. 
Sometimes there are dependencies that you can't upgrade everything right away. All of those things must be planned ahead. It's almost like a project manager is needed to make sure everything happens and nothing gets forgotten. Then for the executives or for the people who are trying to focus on their craft while ensuring their business doesn't suffer for tech upgrades, I think it's important to stay involved in the process and make sure that the team that is responsible for this keeps you updated in in everything, in the delays or progress that's going on. Because if done improperly, this can definitely cause a disruption in business and, and even sometimes affect the clients, which no one wants and everyone wants to avoid. And then, so those are kind of the known unknowns, but we always want to look at what are the unknown unknowns. And as in any project, there are things that are going to happen that you couldn't have predicted. So you always have to kind of prepare for the worst case scenario and hope that you will get the optimal solution or plan A would work. So Alex, you've written, I think, a really interesting book, and it's entitled Responsible Dental Ownership. And many of my listeners might be wondering why I want to talk to you about this book, but I found it incredibly prescient and insightful in areas that literally everyone involved in a business needs to understand. Certainly a small business owner, as many dentists are, a small entrepreneur, or a large corporation, even a person who works in a corporate function. So there were some questions you posed from the book that I want to really actually pose to you. And it starts off with, what are the necessary tools for operating a successful practice, including the top six categories of vendor tools you would need? It's funny you mention it, Tom. So I come from a business background and I'm not a dentist. I never owned a dental clinic. And a lot of people ask me, so how are you that qualified to write a book about, you know, owning a clinic? And the reality is through our company, we do software for the clinics to manage their practice. And being from a business background, I saw that a lot of the dentists are great dentists, but they have never been educated nor have the experience in the business aspects and everything starting from human resource, marketing, customer service, and even dealing with a landlord or even being a landlord if you bought a building. And what I found is, is a lot of my experience from business applies in dental clinics. And I found that I have a lot of very valuable knowledge that has helped hundreds of dentists really be successful and reduce their stress. And I conveyed quite a bit of it in the book. With regards to the tools, I think there are a lot of tools in, in one's disposal, starting from organizations, nonprofits that are specifically designed to help entrepreneurs. They have lots of resources around professional associations and regulators for professions that are regulated and have their own practice. I think the reason why I call them a tool is because you must create the connections and network with these people so you're able to leverage that knowledge and that relationship when it matters most, rather than seeing them as this distant regulator that just creates a lot of bureaucracy, red tape, and increases your overhead. These people are tools and they're supposed to work for you, and the only way to leverage them to your benefit would be building a relationship with them. We want to talk about technology as a tool in a dental clinic's perspective. We're talking two types of technology, digital marketing, which is a mixture of marketing and technology, but it's definitely a tool to have a good business or at least a good online footprint and image. But for a dental clinic, in terms of technology, we're talking about some equipment, whether it's digital x-rays, some advanced scanners like CBCT cone beams, and 
you know, having a 3D printer to make a one-visit clinic to create a better patient experience and a lot of technology. But there are tools for a business need, and the business need is create better patient experience. So a big component of my book deals with finding your purpose as the corporate leader, as the entrepreneur in that regard. And once you're able to find it and properly verbalize it, make your entire business revolve around that. So your HR practices, your marketing, the way the practice looks or business looks and operates from a customer service perspective, all of that needs to revolve around your purpose. And I think some of the tools, let's say a digital marketing component of it, is a communication tool to scream out to the world, this is my purpose and these are the things that we do and why we do it. So one of the points you raised is your brand and working on your brand. But you've done something that I found actually quite unique, but also very powerful. You put out a letter. I'm not sure if it's a letter from the president, but it's certainly a letter where you not only detail your values and your culture, but it re-emphasizes your brand and that point you just made, which is your values are your brand and you must continually put that out there. It really struck me that it was, frankly, a pretty brave thing to do, but you're using it as a very proactive way of marketing. So with that intro, could you just tell us about the letter, why you created it, what's the response been, and how do you see that as not only part of your branding, but also part of your values and your culture? That's a great question. And it brings up all the great things that just come up by accident as a brainstorming session. So, you know, every week, my marketing team, we have a meeting where we brainstorm about ideas and check results for existing things we did. And and in one of the meetings, we kind of said, okay, we want to scream out to the world who we are, what we represent, but more importantly, why we do what we do. Why do we come to work? That's our purpose. And I think at that point, a lot of the th- things I read from Simon Sinek's books and other articles kind of say that in order to build a relationship with someone that you don't have a relationship right now, the most important part is showing vulnerability, be opening up. And the thing is, not a lot of companies have messages from the actual CEO or president. They're usually kind of in the shadow, distant, and are kind of unavailable specifically to create that effect or show that the CEO is very important and whatever. Because we're a small company, my goal was to show that, no, one of our advantages in being a small company is that me as the CEO, I am available and part of my values and the company's values are creating a lot of value for our clients through our technology, through our service, and through our wide network of partners. And I think the idea came in that meeting to say, we want to convey this in an open letter to show how genuine our want is to create great things for the industry. Costs are going up. We want to show how we are able to help save money to our clients and everyone within the industry. And we just want to talk about the various values that we bring to the table. And it was kind of brainstormed and decided that an open letter sent to everyone in the industry is kind of a costly way to snail mail everything. But 
it was just something very genuine that really reflected who I am as a CEO, as a person, and who we are as a company. And we've done actually two. So the first one was originally early 2018, and the second one was early this year. And you know what? I was amazed. I had dentists come to me at trade shows with the letter and say, look, this is amazing. And I had partnerships created through this letter saying, look, it's wonderful what you're building. We want to be a part of it. How can we work together to exponentially increase value? And the interesting part about it is people recognize me within the industry, which I found a little bit odd in the beginning, but it's very flattering and humbling at the same time. And it's been such a great experience that it is like this letter is a must every year. And one of the nice things about it is that although the concept of being genuine remains, each year the letter outlines the added value that we would bring on top of everything else. So with every year, we're just going to bring more and more value to the industry and we're just going to scream it out so everyone can hear. Well, Alex, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I was wondering if anyone wanted more information on either the book, yourself, or even the letter, where would they go and how would they do so? Well, Googling my name, Alex uh, Zlatin, last name Z-L-A-T-I-N, would lead to my social media or my website, which is alexzlatin.com, which is the best and easiest way to get in touch or see some of the material that I've been coming up with. I think there's a copy of the letter there and think that's the best way. Well, I'm going to second that, that uh, anyone listening to this podcast, they really ought to read this letter. It's one of the most powerful statements of not only individual values, but corporate values. And many corporations, many compliance functionaries, and even general counsels, I think would be well-schooled to take a look at this and consider something similar. Alex, I appreciate you taking the time today, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Yeah, I'd love that. Thanks for having me, Tom. If you're a compliance professional looking for a convenient and effective way to fulfill your continuing education requirements, go to fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses and choose from four hour-long training packages that will keep you current. That's fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses.